This is Dr. Sibrios. Welcome to another episode of Wave Makers. Today on Wave Makers, we're going to be talking to Sharon Langer. Now, Sharon was for 28 years the director of Dade Legal Aid, which provides direct civil legal services for low-income residents of Miami-Dade County. And since she retired in 2014, she's been an attorney with the Disabilities Independence Group. Now, the reason that this is so important is because last month, this country celebrated the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, groundbreaking landmark legislation. The ADA was established to promote equal opportunity for people with disabilities. Sharon's going to be talking to us about what the Disabilities Independence Group does to promote the goal and the mission of ADA. And she also talks to us about a federal grant that she's working on. You're going to find today's conversation fascinating. I know that I did. So join me as I speak to Wavemaker Sharon Langer. Can you hear me okay? Oh, I can hear you now. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on Wavemakers. What do you think about when you hear the term Wavemaker? What I think about when I hear Wavemaker is one of my favorite visuals, and it's the pebble in the stream, and then the little waves that get bigger and bigger. And so when I hear Wavemaker, I always think of that pebble, that there's so many people who can just be that pebble, and just that one little person in that one little place that can make waves that could change so much for so many. They may not even know they did it. So that's always been something I keep close to myself because I feel like if I can be a pebble or when I can be a pebble, that hopefully that pebble is going to make some waves. And I'm fortunate to work in an organization called Disability Independence Group. We're a nonprofit. We call ourselves a legal advocacy center. We actually have two silos. One is we have a battery of lawyers. Right now we have three full-time lawyers on staff, but some, sometimes we're up to five. And we actually litigate mostly in federal court, and we litigate employment, access issues, education issues, a lot of fair housing work, mostly on behalf of persons with disabilities. My main job there is project director of a federal grant that we are in our fifth year of, where we are studying the intersection of disability and domestic violence and sexual assault. Why has that become a particular interest of yours? It's of interest to me because I was involved in the, this community when we first actually said, oh my God, we have a problem with domestic violence. And our community set up one of the first dedicated domestic violence courts in the nation. So there was an aha moment in our community much earlier than most all over the country. And I sat in hundreds, and that's not an exaggeration of meetings over the years where folks were building the system of care that we have here. And we actually have a quite robust and good system of care for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault in our community. When I began to look through the lens of disability, we realized that we have complete disconnect between that safety net of services that exist and persons with disabilities and their ability to access them. So my partners and DIGS partners in this grant are the county, the entire domestic violence system of the county, Dade Legal Aid, my old home, 
Muher, a very important sexual assault certified center in South Dade that represents folks in South Dade and particularly migrant farm workers. It means women in Spanish, but they serve men and women. <laughs> and our last partner is DIG, wow. a disability independence group, our, our group, which we represent the disability community. And we're looking at why, why. Are we not reaching out to the disability community? We are making sure that all the access points in our own organizations are fully inclusionary and accessible. And that includes the county, which has done an amazing job. We're working on it. And this next two years, because we're in our last two years of our funding, we are now going out into the community, speaking, having forums, doing focus groups, and looking for the disconnects and then removing them. Well, that's wonderful. And you were in your position at Legal Aid for almost 30 years. And in that position, in that place, you were able to make you know, a tremendous difference could you tell us a little bit about that era of your life? Well, it's interesting how I came to that position. I was a private practitioner with three small children. My children were growing as time was passing. And when the first one reached 16 and could drive the other two that were behind her, I thought, okay, now I can maybe go into the public interest, which is something I'd always wanted to do, but didn't have that flexibility. So just as a kind of a random throw out there, I put my name in the hat to be only the second director that they'd had at Dade Legal Aid. When I started out, it was me and one other lawyer. And when I left, we had 22 lawyers full-time. My success, if any, was based on the fact that I managed to bring in people around me were successful. And so it was really a team and that team took on the world. Could you tell us a little bit about your work with Casa Valentina? How you got involved with that? What is Casa Valentina? Well, you see me smile if somebody's actually looking at the video. Yeah. <laughs> um, Casa Valentina was born about 15 years ago and it was born out of my work that I did at the intersection of youth and foster care, exiting into adulthood, and literally falling off a cliff at 18. And we in this community had just not looked at where are they gonna go? And who, who goes out on their own at 18? And so I was fortunate enough to happen to be at a big event one night and the guest speaker was Eve Ensler, who was a very famous actress, and but she wrote something that was extraordinary at the time called the Vagina Monologue. And she said to a group of women leaders that were at this function, I'm gonna give this play for free to your community, but you're gonna use it to promote an issue that is needed in your community, and it has to be around women in need. And so it was interesting, those of us who kind of stayed behind, kind of sat around and I, was able to kind of share my thoughts. And there was an agreement that if I could put a group together to pull it off, we could have that play. So four other women, none of which I had ever known really well, except one who actually was a lawyer who worked for me, got together and said, okay, we're going to make this happen. And 12 months later, we sold out the Gusman, which is a 1600 seat house for a one-time production of the vagina monologues, which let me tell you 15 years ago, just saying vagina monologues drove people crazy. I had women that had to leave the table. They said, 
I'm not comfortable. I can't even be in your collaboration because I just can't keep hearing you say that word. And we raised $135,000, which is how we started Casa Valentina. And what it is, is we have apartments that can house 21 youth, both men and women, and we help them transition from foster care into independence. And it's usually they stay with us two years. Sometimes they need three. Sometimes they only need one. And we wrap them in every service they could possibly need. We have an education coach. We have a employment coach. We create a community of support. Right. It's a village. Yeah. They're furnished apartments. We trust our youth to live independently. They have a roommate, but their own bedroom. They share a kitchen, a living area. Yeah. yeah. Um, one is in the West Grove, literally a block from public from the Metro Rail. And our other building is downtown, literally a block from the Metro Rail. Yeah, it's it's very, very well positioned. That's beautiful. What energizes you to continue to pick up a challenging initiatives? Well, I can tell you that for me personally, what energizes me is seeing results. So when I get an email that one of our youth at Casa Valentina finally passed an exam or graduated from Miami-Dade College or got their first job and kept it for six months or in the law, when you see justice done, and I think it's just that people have somewhere to live and that 18-year-olds aren't put out of foster care with garbage bags with their meager possessions, which is what used to happen when we started. Yeah, we are living in unprecedented at any time. Let's talk about the racial tensions in our society. I'm learning and I'm listening. I think it's a time for us to learn and listen. And I've been spending a lot of time learning, watching documentaries. A lot of them are about Miami. I've watched two very important, significant documentaries in the last two weeks about Miami. So I have lived through 73 years of Miami growth because I'm 73 years old. That is shocking. Well, it is true. (laughs) And so I'm trying to learn through another lens. So by watching documentaries, listening to people speak, either through film, I am learning and I'm listening. And I'm saying to myself, you've been looking at the world through your lens. Try to understand that there are many lenses through which people look at the world. And so I'm not getting upset. I'm not getting angry, although I did participate in a car driving um, protest (laughs) because I was in my car, which was good. But I I do think it's time. I don't feel angry and scared. I feel hopeful. I feel challenged as an individual. Challenged to listen, to learn to hear. And I think we'll all be better in the end for it. I really do. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. What we were talking about, you know, a couple of days ago also made a lot of sense. You were saying that there was more of of an interest related to uh, the, the community with disabilities. Well, what I had shared with you is that July will be the 30th anniversary of the American with Disabilities Act, the ADA. And it's a big anniversary. And it was a very, very important piece of legislation for folks with disabilities all over the country. So in preparation of this landmark 30-year anniversary, there's been a lot of interest in um, the movement. And where is the movement? I spend a lot of time, again, on not only state but national calls with other people interested in the movement. And I'm excited by hearing the conversations that they're having. And what I'm particularly excited about is the movement is beginning to have conversations about intersectionality too. They're recognizing 
that there are dual identities in all movements. So you could be an LGBTQ person that's a person with disability. You could be a person of color who's also a person with a disability. There's intersectionality in this movement and very little has been done over the years between all these different movements to recognize that intersectionality. So you could be very active in the women's movement and not even think about, well, wait a minute, we're all marching on Washington. What about women with disabilities? You know, should we be considering that? I'm hearing conversation where that intersectionality together is being discussed. And I find that extremely exciting and hopeful. I know there's a very interesting movie on Netflix called Crip Camp. And you would say, Crip, that sounds derogatory, but it's not. It's actually considered a, a extraordinarily charming term. And it's a wonderful movie about the history and the birth of the disability movement. And it's oh, wow. extraordinary. And I highly recommend it to yeah, anybody. What, what is this? Is crip like, a, will you bury somebody? No, crip like crippled, like we used to say in the old days, oh. C-R-I-P camp. And the reason I share that with you is if any of your viewers want to learn more about the disability movement, especially when we're coming upon the 30th anniversary, I highly suggest that movie. It's a two-hour documentary. Right. It's free. It's on Netflix if you have it. But what's particularly interesting is one of the women who was in camp as a kid, her name is Judy Human. She's an extraordinary woman, and she's been holding Zoom meetings the last few weeks. Just to give you an idea of the interest in this movement, she had one last night, and 8,000 people joined the Zoom oh from God. all over the world. That's incredible. That shows the interest in the movement, in the issue, and that is so hopeful and so exciting for me. And if we can all, again, listen, try to see the world through different lenses, I find it extremely exciting and, and hopeful. Well, that's great. I definitely you know, know that you've given a lot of, of hope and a lot of solutions and a lot of victories over the years to many, many people. I want to thank you for the fact that you stayed here in Miami and, uh, and all of the tremendous uh, ripples and waves that you've been able to make with your life. Thank you for your time with us today, Sharon. Thank you. Goodbye. And that does it for another episode of Wave Makers. If you want to get in touch with Disability Independence Group, just go to justdigit.org, J-U-S-T-D-I-G-I-T.org or call 305-456-7174. That's 305-456-7174. And join us next time for another episode of Wave Makers. 